I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You're listening to episode 25. From time to time, I interview a guest on this podcast, and this episode is one of them. My guest today is Greg Boyd. Greg was a speaker at the Apprentice Gathering in fall of 2018. That's where I first met him in person, though I've read his books for many years. Greg's a pastor, professor, writer, and speaker, and a whole lot of things, but he's definitely a man who lives and thinks deep in the kingdom. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this Things Above conversation I have with the always engaging Greg Boyd. All right, Greg Boyd, I'm so glad that you are able to be here today. Thanks for I, having me. Man, I love your work. You didn't know I did because you didn't know who I am. But I've, I've been, uh, I, I've I been, appreciate that. I've been reading, and and and, uh, and I love your podcast, Renew. and uh, With a K. With a K. R-E-K-N-E-W.org. Recanoe. Recanoe. And it's good. It's really good stuff. And the podcast has helped me connect with some of the books that I didn't even know. And one book that I didn't know about is Seeing is Believing, Experience Jesus Through imaginative prayer. And boy, I love this book so much. But one of the things I wanted to talk about is this podcast, The Things Above podcast. Uh, I, I try to bring an idea that the listener can hear and really just sort of soak in your mind. Okay. And it's a podcast for mind discipleship. And I, I, I credit you, I think in episode four, I said, I stole that from Greg Boyd. Mind discipleship, such an important thing. I honored you, you'd steal it. Oh my gosh. I mean, because we don't think about that mind discipleship. I yeah, think it's about, the most important discipleship there is. Preach it. I mean, it really is. As as we think, so we live. And and so I, I know if I can just set my mind on things above and keep that there, it just changes everything. So, Absolutely. So I'm reading um, Seeing is Believing, and I came across this quote that I just, I love. So I'm going to read you your quote okay. and let you go with it, okay? Uh-huh. It's from page 99. It says, what do you look, sound, and feel like when you're convinced in the core of your being that you are loved with an everlasting love? Like the Bible says you are. What do you look, sound, and feel like when you perfectly manifest the truth that you are God's beloved child, seated, seated with Christ in heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing, destined to sit with him on the throne throughout eternity? Question mark. As you set your mind on things above in this fashion, you'll be in the process of transforming your ex- experienced self-identity in the direction of the true identity you have in Christ. Wow. That was brilliant, wasn't it? Man, it, who, who it, wrote that? Greg Boyd wrote it. Well, Paul wrote a lot of it. There's a, I, there's a whole bunch of I, Paul. I, I'm, I'm just plagiarizing Paul, actually, <laughs> yeah. which I guess is the best kind of theology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, well, but it, it's true that, um, you know, the, the the whole thing about faith is, is uh, you know, it says in Hebrews that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And part of what that means, I think, is that it's faith is is when you take something that you believe to be true and you see it as a substantial reality in your mind. You imagine it. You envision it. Uh, and that creates a conviction in you that is so. And the more real, the more real like your, your image is, um, the, the, the greater the conviction uh, it, it, it produces. And that's what causes you to act in a certain way. And all the heroes of faith in, in, in Hebrews 11 were folks who um, they had a vision uh, of where they were where they're supposed to be marching, and they, they went in that direction. So they, they envisioned the promise of God as a—the uh, word he uses is hypostasis as a substantial reality, and it creates this elenkos, this conviction that it is so, and that motivates action. Uh, and so when Jesus says, according to your faith be unto you, um, 
uh, he, he's not just giving a religious principle. He's giving a life principle there. We all have faith. We envision some, the future that we expect, anticipate, maybe fear, uh, maybe are excited about. But, but uh, if, it's, if it creates that positive conviction, it moves us in that direction. And, and so I think it's absolutely essential that we take the things that God says is true about us and, and we envision that. Uh, that's what I'm saying. What do you see? What do you feel like? Uh, enter into that. And and because uh, uh, if you can't see it, you'll never be it. And I encourage folks to actually like see it, uh, it in, in situations where you're least like that. Like, so, you know, that when you always go to work, and you have to deal with that boss that you it brings out the unchristian in you and you're, you know, you're at your worst. But what would it look like if you ran that scene and but you really did believe what 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 the scripture says about you? Um, what do you look like in that circumstance? How do you respond differently? And in some ways, it's a it's a rehearsal for life. Uh, you know, it's like um, you know we don't get good at anything unless we practice. Right. And yet we think that we're going to get good at at being a Jesus follower without any kind of practice. It just doesn't work that way. This is practicing it. You're envisioning it. You're going through it, and uh, and affirm that that is true as you're seeing yourself as you really are in Christ. That's the true you. Now, there's a part of your brain that doesn't believe that. Uh, and 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 so that's where you have to decide what's your credibility source. Are you going to trust your own damaged brain that inherited all the crap from the world uh, and has got all sorts of lies in there, or are you going to trust the 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 word of God and um, let God be true and everything in your brain that disagrees with that a liar? And uh, uh, it's only when we do that, as long as we're listening to our damaged brains, we're going to be stuck in our damaged brains. It's like trying to pull yourself out of quicksand. You know, it's like right. your brain's the problem. It's not going to give you the solution. <laughs> right. Yeah. You need a source greater than yourself. And that's where we have to let God's word about us have more credibility than our own brain. And that's how we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right. Right. And it, it has to be true. It has to be a reality. You know, and I talk about in this podcast when you're setting our minds on things above they're, they're actual realities. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I love how you put that because that you are God's beloved child, that you're loved with an everlasting love. Say a little bit more about, I, the, boy, the, you talked about the brain that's, that's in the fallen world. And I think probably a lot of people listeners that are listening are, are like that. And I know I am. I mean, I, some of my self-narratives are pretty negative. Some of it comes from a really bad gospel I, I heard growing up, which Absolutely, was, you yeah. are a rotten sinner. That, that's a hard to get. Yeah, on. yeah, you miserable, rotten piece of slime. You deserve. God should send you to hell. Yeah. It's sure mercy that he doesn't let you go. Right. Yeah, yeah. So those ones, you know, you carry those for a few decades. It's tough to get them out. But for me, that's been helpful thinking about that. But say more about how you're moving away from what your brain's telling you, those self-identity narratives, to the scriptures. and Because I think there's something really spiritual going on in that, supernatural even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is, you know, that's the process that Paul calls putting off the old self and putting on the new. Um, and it's just um, getting your mind. I, I, I think all discipleship is simply a matter of uh, thinking and then acting uh, as you really are, becoming who you really are in Christ, because that is a reality. That's true. It, it, it all was finished on the cross. Um, and, and, and so we're just trying to get our minds and our lives and then eventually the world to line up with it. Uh, but the place it's got to start is with the three and a half pounds of real estate between your ears. And you, know, you have always people saying, oh, let's take back America for God, or we're going to win back the city for God and all this kind of stuff. Well, first, you got to win back your three and a half pounds of organic, your three and a half pound organic computer right. uh, between your ears. Because uh, everything you do in your life is a reflection of that, you know, and, and uh, so if, until that's fixed, when broken people try to fix the world, they just further break it. Mm-hmm. And, and so we want to you know, be 
be the best you be the change you want to see in the world, mm-hmm. and the other change will come as a result of that. But it's got to start between the ears. And, and, and see, I, I really think that throughout the church tradition, um, the the imagination was referred to as the inner sanctum, the inner sanctuary, uh, the place where the things of God become real, tangible, experiential, and concrete. It's sometimes referred to as cataphatic prayer praying with, with intentional mental images as opposed to uh, apophatic prayer, which is the more mystical, you know, uh, becoming nothing. Um, and there's, there's room for both. But, but I find that the cataphatic prayer has been by far and away the most powerful. Um, and, you know, people sometimes talk about thin places. You ever heard Celtic that? Celtic phrase. Sure, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. There's uh, where the, the, the barrier between the spiritual and the earthly is thin. Uh, and you can sense God more or easier in those kind of places. Well, I think we've all got a thin place between our ears. Mm. Uh, it, it is, it, it's, it's given to us for that purpose. I think that is where we spiritually encounter the things of God. And um, it, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 3, where he, he's drawing an analogy with the uh, uh, Old Testament when Moses you know, would be with the Lord. He'd come out and he'd have his glory, glory, radiating face. Oh, yeah. And they had to put a veil over because they couldn't take it. And then Paul builds an analogy on that and saying to this day when they read the scripture, there's a veil over their mind uh, to keep them from seeing the truth, the spirit of the letter. They only see the letter. They don't see the spirit. And, but then he, sees, he says when anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. Uh, and now we, with the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. He's talking about freedom to see something we couldn't see before. And then he says, and we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Yeah. Now, that is just so powerful. Um, it's what you see in your mind that determines what you become. Yeah. And so as I can experience concretely, vividly, experientially the, the joy of the Lord over me, I become more joyful. And when I see his profound love for me, I become more loving. And when I see his peace, uh, the peace between us that the cross has, has, has created, I, I am more peaceful when that becomes the center of my being. And, but it, knowing it won't do it. Knowledge never leads to transformation. That's why you have, we all know way more than our lives reflect. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the elevator from the head to the heart just doesn't yeah. run very well. But this is the best way to fuse the two together uh, where so it, you, you experience this, and uh, it can be so powerful. I, I, God does healing in this context. Uh, God reveals some things. I mean, e- even if it was just my imagination, and that's what we're taught these days. Yeah. Imagination is make-believe. But, and it can be make-believe. But it also can be a means of accessing a kind of reality. It's a tool to get us closer to a certain kind of reality, and that is there's a spiritual reality. And... Um, uh, when used like that, it's just so powerful. So there's this inner sanctuary, and and uh, there are times where even if it was just my imagination, I'm still it's still good because I'm still thinking true thoughts. Yeah. Uh, this is what I really look like in Christ. Uh, I you know Jesus is present here. So if I imagine I'm present here, I'm just getting my mind to line up more with reality. In fact, if Jesus is in this room, that's the most important fact in this room. I think you'd agree. Yeah, absolutely. And yet we don't envision that. Mm-hmm. And so our imagination is secularized. We, 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 delete, we delete out the most important fact in the room. Yeah. Uh, and so even if it was just you, it's, it's, uh, it's powerful and good. But uh, you find when you get into this that uh, there's times where, okay, I'm encountering the real God here. I, it's more than my imagination. And things get uh, done and said and revealed that I know I could never come up with. It's like I ne- and you learn about yourself. You know, it's like that's what's been tripping me up. You know, the Lord can reveal this to you. 
and 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 I, I among other things, I just find it so enjoyable. I love to have times where I just I always put on some like uh, mellow music because that helps melt the heart and open the mind. I think it's a gift from God for that purpose. And you go on trips with Jesus. And uh, take a trip to heaven or whatever. Yeah. And I know that that's a representation of what it will be like. Um, and I know it's going to be better than this. However good you're conceiving of it, uh, it, it it's going to be infinitely better than that. And so if part of your brain is saying to yourself, uh, this is too good to be true, when you're envisioning God as altogether beautiful or heaven as altogether lovely, as good as you could possibly imagine it, that part of your brain, since we're so addicted to mediocrity in this fallen world, it will say, oh, that's too good to be true. There's always a dark side. There's always the, the other shoe's got to drop. But when you have that feeling, it should just I encourage people to let it remind them, let it be a post-it note that you're heading in the right direction because uh, it, it, it it's better than that, infinitely better than that. And, and I, I find that just when the spiritual realm becomes that real, when you can experience it, um, man, it just it, 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 it adjusts your awareness, uh, your everyday awareness. You're aware that there's a spiritual realm all around you. And, and it, it, uh, I, I find it takes away the fear of death. People fear death because they don't visit it there. Right. It's, it's not real to them. They, they know, okay, I, I'm going to live forever. But what's real to them is this, the concrete world. That Unless they've had some experiential reality, it's been concrete. You've visited there. It, your brain doesn't register it as, as it feels real. And it feels real. And a lot of people, that's how it is with God. They never, they believe in God, but it doesn't, they never experience God. Or they believe in Jesus, but never experience Jesus. They believe in salvation, but they never experience it. They, and so their Christianity is just sort of a behavioral set. And the reason is because they have not learned the key to accessing their imagination. Yeah. Uh, that's where the whole thing is, uh, is, is fought and won. Yeah. I mean, your book, Seeing is Believing, is... You know, I, I, I've read so much of your other stuff, and, and I'm, I'm in the Christian spiritual formation world, so this is like what I do, right? Okay. This book, and I went, Greg writes about this. And, oh, man, he's got some great ideas. In fact, so I took the practice. I, I, I just, you know, very legalistically followed your practice. I get the, <laughs> I get the music, you uh-huh. know, I took the passage, and I, I stepped into it. And it was, it was very powerful, and I had not. So I, I recommend listeners to get the book and, and actually do do it. Legalistically, just like Greg. No, no I mean, fi- find a way to do it. But really what you're talking about is Ignatian spiritual exercise. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Ignatius, that's the same. That, uh, he, he was the one who made it. You can find it in origin. Uh, it, it goes all the way back. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ignatius was the one who made it into like a, a whole school of thought yeah. with his spiritual exercises. And he would take people on this one-month journey. Um, the, the, the contemporary ones are much more modified and a lot softer than his was. Uh, he would start with people in hell. Yeah, it starts in hell. I, I did hell. it. It's weird. It's like, oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, did you actually go through it? I did. Yeah, oh, I, I've never actually taken it. I've read it. Yeah, but but man, he starts off hardcore. Uh, you know, you're in the flames. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, but then you end up with a beatific vision. So you know, it, yeah. it all works out. But uh, yeah, it, it, he made that a, a real central uh, mm-hmm. thing. And, and it, so he says, like, when you pray, pray with all five senses. Mm-hmm. And see, now neurologically, we know why this is the case. Uh, that. We think by replicating experiences on the inside. We don't think with information. We think by re-experiencing things. If I ask you, what color is your bed cover? Well, you just saw your bed cover. Now, you can't give me the picture, so you'll give me the information. Oh, it's red or whatever. But but the way you access that information was by replicating that experience, representing it in your head, making it present again, re-present, represent. And... Um, um, uh, and we now know neurologically that the same the same neural nets that experienced your bed uh, are activated when you recall your bed, 
And the more vivid that is, the more your brain identifies as real. The only way you know the difference between what's, what's real outside of you and your idea about something is that the idea, if, if, if it's, a, it's foggier. It's, but the more real you make it, the more it impacts you. Mm. And, and th- that's also true in, in the spiritual realm. The more, the more vivid it is, the more powerful it is, and the more transforming it is. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crucial to everything. Yeah, absolutely. So I have another quote. It's really qu- kind of similar in terms of uh, focusing on, on self-identity. And this, this I got from your Renew podcast, and I went back and ty- typed out because I thought this was huh. really profound. Uh, All right. But it's a little personal because you you're being Go personal ahead. in it, but I thought, well, he's being personal in his podcast, so. <laughs> if I'm not willing to share it, I'll just say shut up. <laughs> yeah, just change the subject. We'll move on. What do you think about those Minnesota twins? What losers? <laughs> okay, here's the quote from the Renew podcast. Um, this is Greg writing. I was wrestling with pornography, and I just couldn't quit that for more than two days at a time. When I started to see who God— I made God, it three days once. And, <laughs> and we're talking about me as a young kid up here. Was, yeah, exactly. Was, yeah, with this one, yes. 17 years old. Right. Uh, but when I started to see who God really is, for the first time in my life, I wanted to live for God. I actually yeah. loved God. I wasn't just fearing going to hell. I wanted to live for Him. I actually had a motivation to do this. It wasn't, I'm not supposed to do this. When you see who God really is, and that also means who you really are— it's like you want this. This is what you were created for. This is the best thing out there. This is the best thing you can imagine. It changes everything. When it came to pornography, I knew I was better than this stuff. This is animal. I'm better than that. I'm a king's kid. The father's DNA runs in me. It's beneath me to be involved in that stupid stuff, which destroys people. This changes everything. It did. Wow. Yeah, so I, I was at that point uh, a Christian. Um, I've been a Christian for about a year and a half came to Christ when I was 16 in this very, very, very legalistic Pentecostal church. Um, uh, and I, I really had some good encounters with God there, uh, even though they had a screwed up theology and were all legalistic and all that. But you know, God works through whatever means is available. And, and maybe I actually, looking back on it, maybe I, I actually needed a church like this because I, I, just by, by personality, I needed a radical break. Uh, I'd had drug, sex, and rock and roll since the age of 12. And I... I I, I, a vanilla form of Christianity wouldn't be compelling. In fact, I knew about that. Yeah. And it just wasn't compelling. But this, these folks were hardcore. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I was living with my dad, uh, had been living with my dad since the age of 12. My parents divorced. And, and I was basically run on my own. He traveled all the time. And he, he was incredible in terms of his ethics for social justice. He was a guy who I grew up with. My dad was always railing against racist and, uh, you know, politicians who were racist. And he was for, you know, the civil rights movement, real active in that and bald when Martin Luther King died. In fact, he lost his best friend over Martin Luther King because his friend was uh, this guy from Georgia. Uh, and, and he came over and made a mocking statement about Martin Luther King, brought some weeds. Uh, some weeds and said, "Oh, here's here's our little bouquet for poor Martin Luther King." My dad got so enraged they they had a falling out and they never repaired. It was, but so he's great on ethics with that. But when it came to sexuality, he just had no convictions about anything, and he thought it was just totally normal for a twelve year old boy to have to be looking at porn. So he had his hardcore porn. He didn't try to hide it. Uh, not after they he, he hit it before my mom left, uh, but after that it was just free game, and so I'd had a steady diet of this. And when I came into this Pentecostal church, I could quit everything pretty. I, I gave up the drugs and everything else, but that was a uh, living in that house. You're 16 and 17 years old, walking hormone, 
and and it's right there. And, seen, and that was unusual. This is in the the 70s now. Um, nowadays, unfortunately, everyone it's a, it's has had that at their yeah. fingertips, but yeah. it was unusual. Uh, so I guess the story is a lot more relevant now than it was, you know, back at the time. But uh, yeah, I just couldn't kick that. And I was about ready after a year and a half. And in this church, you're only as, sin, as saved as your last sinless moment. Every sin separated you from God. Mm, yeah, and, and so you had to get resaved. So I was getting saved and resaved and unsaved and resaved multiple times a day sometimes. It was just crazy. Yeah. And I, I finally despaired. Like, uh, this, this game is up. I, I, who am I kidding? You know, I, I, when I go, I, I'd get resaved every Sunday night. They had the evangelistic service. And I was sincere, and I'd vow, oh, I will never, that's terrible, I'll never look at that again. And I could maybe make it to Tuesday or Wednesday, but eventually you fall. And I just, I just gave up. And I was at, um, it was after the service on a Sunday night, I and a friend were talking in this church parking lot after everyone had gone home, and I was saying, I'm done, I can't do it, I, I think I'm doomed to hell. And that, I guess because I had nothing to lose, I all of a sudden, erupted in anger towards God, just erupted. It was, and, and looking back on it, it wasn't just towards God, but it was that every authority in my life, I, you know, I, I had an ADHD, I had some behavioral problems, they sent me to Catholic school to try to f- fix me, and that did not work. And um, I'd always had trouble with authorities. I always wanted to please them, but I was never able to. Uh, and I felt like I, it, the whole thing was a setup. And so I railed at God, and in the process was railing at every authority that I've ever let down or disappointed, and he's just the ultimate example of that. And vile stuff started coming out of my mouth. I surprised myself. I was just, you, I was as blasphemous as you could be, because I got nothing to lose. And I was basically saying, God, you're... You could, you're getting your jollies off of this. You're laughing at this whole thing. You set me up. You're the one who gave me all these hormones, put me in a house with a dad who doesn't have any sexual morals at all and, and has this porn around him. And, and, and I don't like you. and I don't like your stupid church where everyone's so legalistic. You can't do anything except eat, and that's why they're all fat. And, I, you know, I, I just erupted with vile language. I, I, the friend I was talking to took a, step, a couple steps back because I think he thought the lightning bolt's going to come yeah, down. It's coming. But then at one point he said, we, we must be missing something. How come we can't live the life? And I, in anger, took my King James Bible and threw it on the hood of his truck. And the thing flapped open. And I started reading it sarcastically, uh, kind of mocking him. Like, okay, if we're missing something, what's the key? But I happened, it happened to open up to Romans 8. And I start reading it in a mocking voice. There's therefore now no condemnation of them who are in Christ Jesus. Is that where we're missing, Tom? Is that the big secret? There's no what does that verse even mean? I might have read that verse so many times, but now all of a sudden it's like, what does that, there's no condemnation. I live in nothing but condemnation. And that kept on reading on. If God's before us, who can be against us? Who can lay any charge to God's like it is God who justifies? And I, that, that it was like, it was like, um, I, I think that that vile, ungodly, terrible diatribe that I unleashed on God was probably the first time I've ever, ever gotten honest with God. Wow. I think that was the first honest prayer I ever prayed. And I think God, instead of getting mad, he was like, thank you. Finally. No more the, oh, Holy Father. You know, I would say God is love, but I didn't believe God was love at all. Um, I, I got honest. And, and it's like my honesty gave God, a ch- God, gave God a chance to get honest. Okay, Greg, since you've been honest with me, let me tell you a little bit about myself. And he reveals himself through that passage. And I, for the first time in my life, got a picture of God who loves me for me. 
Uh, before, I thought God just loves behavior. And it, because it, people are indispensable. Like, if God's going to love you if you have the good behavior and hate you if you have the bad behavior, then what God really loves is not you, but the behavior. You're almost incidental to the equation. And, but this was a God who loved me, and I began to get, and this wasn't all, I mean, I didn't get the full picture of God's beauty then. In fact, I don't think I have the full picture of God's beauty now. So looking back on it, I just got a glimpse. But I'll probably be saying that about where I'm at right now, <laughs> 10, 15 years from now, because it just gets better and better and better. But uh, uh, I, I got a picture of God who I actually wanted to serve. Before that, it was like, I'd rather not, but I have to do this because I don't want to go to hell. Uh, but for the first time, it's like, I'd rather do this. You know, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, he, uh, people are wondering why he, he's acting crazy. You know, he had his cushy life as a Pharisee, and he gave it all to, cut, to become a missionary and undergoing all these hardships. So they're thinking, what are you, crazy? And Paul says, you know, if we're crazy, it's, it's for God, but if we're sane, it's for your sake. But uh, the truth is the love of Christ compels me. Hmm. And, and he had a picture of God uh, revealed in Christ that was just— Obviously, it was lovely because he, that love compelled him, the love from God and the love he had for God. And that is the motivation of the kingdom. What we do, it should not be out of threats or oughts or should do's or shame or manipulation or anything of the sort. It's because you're love. And so if listeners are out there saying, well, gosh, I don't feel love for God, it's because you have a picture of God. Anyone who saw what you saw wouldn't feel love. Hmm. Now, a lot of times we're not even aware of our picture of God. In fact, it's kind of a montage for most people. They get part of it's, you know, from a song they heard or something a preacher said or a verse they read or whatever, and it's just kind of there. But Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. And there's only one word of God, uh, and, and, which is the revelation of God. So insofar as anyone saw any true revelation, it looks like Jesus Christ, and especially Jesus Christ dying on the cross, uh, where God goes an infinite distance, an unsurpassable distance, in order to save us. He couldn't have gone farther than he went, the all-holy God even becoming our sin. Uh, and the unsurpassable distance he crossed for us reveals the unsurpassable love he has, the love, unsurpassable love that he is, and the unsurpassable love that he has for us. It couldn't be improved on in all eternity. You couldn't be loved more intensely than you are loved because you're, God's just being God towards you. God is love, 1 John 4, 8, and love is defined by the cross, 1 John 3, 16. God is cross-like love to the core. And when you begin to see this and really believe it, because there'll be all sorts of things in your brain saying, oh, come on, no, that, that, he, that's part of God, but there's also this dark demonic side <laughs> that, where he can just damn people if he wants to. And whatever. But to dare to believe that God really is that beautiful so that you want, like, like I want to live for this God because he's got my best interest in mind. And that's a totally new motivation. That is a totally, and then see, when, when I got a true picture of God, I got a true picture of me. Uh, like, I am not this low life who has to sort of impress the authorities to try to get a cookie from the divine table. Uh, no, I am a king's kid. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am holy, righteous, blameless, spotless uh, in him in love. Uh, you know, and, and it's when you start to get in, it's like I am better than this smut. This is, this is junior high stupid stuff. You know, this is really – and then I and, – and for those listeners of yours who struggle with pornography, this is worth the price of admission right here, okay? The battle with porn is not fought when you are uh, fought or won when you're trying to decide whether or not you're going to push that button. Um, it's fought in what you're doing ahead of t before that. What I found was I got a picture of the, a particular pornographic scene that I had had seen a, as a young kid, 
And and on the surface, it, I'm biologically wired to want that, right? So it, it, it looks good. But what is it really? Uh, it, it, from the natural eye, it looks positive. I'm going to crave that. In fact, it's inevitable. If I keep looking at that in my head, I'm going to push that button. But what is how does God see this? And, and I had this, this uh, and this, this didn't happen this night, but it happened shortly after this, where I had that particular scene in my mind, only now the, the, the person in the scene was covered with manure and pus and vomit and maggots, and it was just disgusting. But the person, the porn star, doesn't, isn't aware of that. She thinks she's being sexy. But really, this is just disgusting, life-destroying, life-sucking death. And, and then in this scene, I heard, and this is also the imagination, but this is where the Lord interacts with us. I heard a little girl screaming in the background. And, and see, that's the kind of thing that can happen to you. I, I know I didn't think of that. It just came to me. But it was communicating that the same kingdom that pulls, pulls together this picture— to entice guys to look at it is the same kingdom that kidnaps little girls and rapes little girls and sells them on sexual trafficking and, and all the other terrible, unthinkable things that happen to little kids. And to vote yes for one is to vote yes for the other. And so if I represent that, that's what it truly is. Right. So the decision is, are you going to represent it according to your natural mind, uh, which is deceptive because it, it, it makes it look good even though it's terrible, or are you going to represent the way God sees it? And if you represent it the way it really is, in your imagination, vividly, graphic, however the Lord get, communicates that to you, because it's always individual, but that would, that's the deterrent. Like, I don't want to look at that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so, and then I, if you're, they're married, I encourage folks to then turn your attention to your spouse, and you can make that as wonderful and vivid as you want. In fact, that's what you should be doing. Um, uh, but but when it's outside of that context, see it for what it really is. Mm. And so the decision is, is are you going to entertain the lie, in which case you're going to give into it, or are you going to see it according to truth? And, and f- freedom is not – I mean, it's good to say no to what you want to do if what you want to do is sin. But real freedom is not wanting to do it. Not wanting, right. And your want will be based on what you're representing in your head. A- wow. And you have control over that. In fact, we have a responsibility to get that to line up with, tr- with, with what is true. Yeah. Mind discipleship. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. and that, that is, I think, the way – now, there's other things I would say to help people who are struggling with porn, like accountability and, and those kind of practical things. But the real battle, as always, is in between our ears. That's why Paul says the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Uh, they're not carnal, but they're spiritual to the tearing down of strongholds, whereby we, th- we come against every thought and imagination that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Yeah. That's the battle right there. Yeah. Uh, are you going to, anything in your head that is contrary to what is revealed as true, um, our job is to take everything captive to Jesus Christ so mm-hmm. that, that it's, it's in line with the character of God that's revealed there. Wow. Uh, and to see ourselves as we are in Christ, to see God as he's revealed in Christ, to see sin as it really is from the perspective of Christ— uh, that's the job of discipleship. Wow. And that's the ticket to freedom. Yeah. And it, it, it just hit me now the first time, and I've read it a thousand times, but Paul's dichotomy, mind of the flesh, mind of the spirit. And you, in both cases, the identity in the first quote of yours, you talked about our brain's going to see us as we're junk. Right. But but if we can see as God sees, it's we see the that's that's the that's the mind of the spirit. 
Same, Absolutely. same with pornography in, in the flesh. Absolutely. It looks, looks enticing, but in, in its reality, you see it as God sees it. And, and it applies to how you see everything. Um, like, so it, to go back to the statement where Paul says uh, the love of Christ compels us, he goes on to say, for we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. Um, and then he, he, the next verse he goes, so we therefore no, regard no one from a natural or a flesh point of view, though we once regarded Christ that way. So to look at things from a natural point of view is just simply to, like, what you see is what you get. Uh, as though all the spiritual realm didn't exist. It's just the, the earthly fallen point of view. Uh, and so from that point of view, Jesus is just an ordinary person that Rome crucified, one of the many thousands of people. But he says, we no longer look at, at, at anyone that way. Uh, rather, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. And now that's often taken to mean, oh, you're a new creation. But what Paul, Paul's talking about the way we look at people. No, he goes, look, at, there's a new creation. All have died. Um, in, in some sense, everybody's old self was crucified 2,000 years ago, and God's got a claim on everybody. Uh, that's what I think those passages mean when, when, like in Romans 5, Paul says, as all were in Adam, so all are in Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and, and others. I, I think it's communicating God's perspective that he's claiming everybody, and, and everybody has this unsurpassable worth. Paul says that he's not holding anyone's trespasses against them. That, in fact, that's the message we're supposed to be proclaiming because we're his ambassadors. Although a lot of churches seem to think that our job is to do the opposite. It's to point out people's sin. Right. <laughs> Always their sin, never our own. Uh, We've got to pass laws against those folks. Um, I wish we would stop doing that. But, uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, so it affects how you view people. I, I look at everybody as having this unsurpassable worth. I think that our, our most basic job is to agree with God that every person we see was worth dying for. And then just to reflect that worth by how you think about them and how you speak to them and how you treat them, regardless of their behavior, regardless of anything you think you see, regardless of whether you like what they're doing or not, uh, it's an unconditional command because that's what God does for us. Mm. So it affects how you view everything. Yeah. And, you know, that is such a, I'll tell you, that is such a great, it's so freeing to be able to live without judgment. Uh, Our brains are constantly assessing, evaluating as though we're the judge of the earth. The, the arbiter of good parenting and good clothing and good Christian. And so we, we like or dislike. And we have a gossip column in our brain. And every one of those little gossips blocks the flow of love. Uh, love is about ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. That's what Christ does for us on the cross. Um, but judgment is about ascribing worth to yourself at cost to another. However, whatever loser I'm, I might be, at least I'm not like that person. <laughs> Uh, when you can let go of that and realize that that's not our calling, that's not our job, that's what everyone does, but we're called to be different, and start disciplining your mind to simply love without judgment, it is so freeing. It takes work to be the, the, the judge of the universe. Yeah, It's a heavy burden to carry. But when you give yourself permission just to love, just to love, uh, oh, that's just free. Oh. That's freeing. You know, at the end of these podcasts, I encourage people to engage in some spiritual exercise. You've given like seven I mean, I'm talking about putting on the music and sitting, seeing yourself as the beloved and seeing other people as sacred and valued. And just, there's so much I would encourage you listeners to, to put and into if, practice. If I could just insert this, that when you first start this, um, because it's new, it's going to feel weird. Anything you do, it's going to feel weird. But just get, go with that. And and at first, if, if people are a little bit nervous, uh, just envision Jesus saying to you, what you already know he says about you in, uh, in, in Scripture, because you know that's true. And so now you're just envisioning that concretely. But he says it with your name and looking into your eyes. 
Hmm. Um, and however else the Holy Spirit wants to you know, configure this. But at the very least, you're getting your mind to line up with what's true. So you can be confident of this, of this. See, a lot of folks are like, well, what happens if something funky happens in my imagination? And if it does, just sit it aside because you know what the, the real Jesus, who the real Jesus is. He'll, he'll, he'll always be the Jesus that's consistent with what we find in the Gospels. But in time, it really is helpful then to ask the Spirit to you, you want to encounter the real Jesus. And, and, uh, um, and so just yield to the Holy Spirit. And I always think music is helpful in this. And, and then try to let go. Like, just try to be a spectator over what's happening in your imagination. So you're not controlling everything. And that's when you find sometimes we'll find the Spirit just does incredible mm-hmm. creative things. And I encourage people, as long as what takes place in your imagination is consistent with the character of God that's revealed in Jesus, let the Spirit be creative. Uh, the spirit can be edgy. The, the, the spirit will individualize it to you. The spirit knows exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. And, and um, sometimes we'll go places that uh, – I go places where I, that I, I would never share. Uh, I don't think most people could handle it. Mm. Um, but I know that there – and that's just for me. Yeah, it's um, personal. But like, for example, I have had I, – I've had – when I was a kid, uh, my mom died when I was two, and my dad remarried, and it was a marriage made in hell, and it was warfare, and it was terrible, and the kids got caught up in it. And my stepmother it was kind of abusive, and when she would get angry, she would just, like, snap and go crazy and come up with bizarre, macabre forms of punishment. Um, and and so I had—I didn't know it at the time. In fact, I didn't know this until I was about 20 years old, but I had a lot of damage uh, with regard to— and the, the gulf between what I needed as a kid from a mother and what I got creates a resentment. Uh, and, and on one level, it's healthy because I'm saying I deserve better than that. And, and so, but there's kind of a you owe me thing, which I had to let go of. At the age of 20, God began to reveal to me that I had this resentment towards my stepmother that I never knew I had. Um, I don't recall thinking about her once when she left. I mean, there was no love lost between us. I, I was glad when she left, but I, I don't recall thinking about it. But looking back on it, I can see how... Like any woman that would ever be, when I was dating a girl, if she was at all aggressive or domineering or wanted to get her way or anything like that, I all of a sudden lost affection for him. And I didn't know why. I felt bad. I was just like, oh, it, it's, it's gone. Now I can see that they were triggering my mother issues. <laughs> I feel bad. And that's when the Lord revealed to me that, that you needed a mother. You still do. Mm. And I make a very good mother. Mm. And, and the, the feminine side of God, the motherhood of God, has, has been a real big part uh, that, of, of my imaginative uh, uh, relationship uh, with, with the Lord. And, and that's not the kind of thing I, like a lot of people would have, a lot of more conservative folks might have trouble with that if I talk too much about it or whatever. But I, I, I think I'm so glad that the Spirit took me there. Uh, and actually, the, God's role as mother uh, has... And in other feminine capacities as well, because, you know, God is beyond gender. So right. we should have no trouble with this. Women and men are equally made in the image of God. We should have no troubles with this. But we have such a long patriarchal tradition that a lot of people do have troubles with this. Yeah. But I'm telling you, it was been, it's been so healing uh, and has brought a dimension to my relationship with God that, that uh, I otherwise I know I wouldn't have. Wow. And no one told me that. If the spirit, so just let the Spirit take you where He wants to go, as long as it's beautiful and it feels too good to be true, and it reflects the other-oriented, self-giving, humble uh, character of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Mm. 
Wow. I, I'm going to have to listen back to this podcast about seven times because you said <laughs> 70 things that are I, I want to set my mind on these. These are these are thoughts from above. Oh, that, Greg, I, thanks, I appreciate man. that. It's so good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. I, I uh, enjoying it, and I love talking about this topic. I think it's oh, so important, and it's it's a weird thing that, you know, when I first wrote the book "Seeing Is Believing," I couldn't get it published because uh, David Hunt had just published this book called "The Seduction of Christianity," where he basically says anyone who talks about imagination is a new age conspirator. Yeah, and names Richard Foster. Richard and, Foster. In fact. Uh, um, uh, uh, who's a focus on the family guy? He got Dobson in there too. Got Dobson in. got in there. <laughs> yeah. now, when, yeah. you, when you're criticizing Dobson as being a new ager, something's a little off there. Yeah. But, um, uh, and so for 10 years, it didn't get published. And it seems like this kind of goes and flows. Right now, there's a lot of talk. People are like getting into the imagination and it's, it's now okay. Um, and, and so this book's kind of, now it's taking up life again. Uh, so I, it's my favorite topic. I mean, I, one of my favorite topics. Mm. I just think it's so, so, so important. Oh, that's good. Go out and get the book, Seeing is Believing, Experience Jesus Through Imagine and Prayer. Gregory A. Boyd, our guest today. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So Bless good. you, man. Bless you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, this conversation with Greg Boyd. He's one of my favorites. Uh, he's just fantastic. I, I love how he thinks about, about God and what he makes me think about God when I'm with him, when I can converse with him. He's just fantastic. And I hope you join me next week for episode 26. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. And as always, my hope is that one day, if you are asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above. <laughs>